We'll start off in verse 1, and I'll read, and then we'll pray. And when he entered into Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he went, that he went home. And as many gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they uh, laid down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And Jesus saw their faith, and he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there and questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in, this, in his spirit that they, this question within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is either to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all of the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Let's pray. Father, you're good. And we just thank you that we can all come here to glorify you, God. Let this be only about you, and let us open our hearts to find the deeper truths of who you are. We need you, and we thirst for you, God. And let your word speak and bring life to us, God. Dear Father, amen. So Tom Brady, he has six Super Bowls, three MVPs, and he is considered the greatest of all time. People call it the GOAT, greatest of all time. He's accomplished the unfathomable. Uh, and there was an interview released about Tom Brady, uh, and it was about him winning all these Super Bowls. And he was asked a question about how he feels after winning uh, the titles and the MVPs and all those things and all his accolades and trophies. And he said winning all these Super Bowls, is, there's got to be something more. Winning all these titles, it's not what it's all cracked up to be. So we see through success, through all the money he has, uh, he has a nice family, but there's got to be something more. And it, the thing that he needs more is Jesus. And every person chases and goes after something uh, that, that they look for purpose or fulfillment in life. In my short 21 years of life, I've seen plenty of people go after things uh, that they think that will fulfill them. And, Heal their hearts that where they have a hole in their heart that is needs to be fixed by Jesus. They they think that if they go after something else, that will fill it. I've seen many of my high school friends chase after drugs, thinking uh, that their that their life is just so stressful, and if they if they take this drug, it will finally relax them at one point. 
I've seen uh, many of my college friends thinking that if they have uh, a wife or a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend, that that will fulfill all their wants and needs. And I've seen people chase after money, including myself. I am very guilty of this, of thinking that money I can find security in, that that will be, make me feel the most comfortable. And I think one of the biggest plagues today here in, our, in, in, in any church um, is getting comfort from the government, feeling like the, the government will give us comfort. And we can see that we all get very upset if our political party doesn't get voted in. And it causes division, but, it, but we think that that's what finds security in. See, whether if we're Republican, whether we're Democrat, whether we're wealthy or successful, whether we're, uh, we have a ton of money, Jesus calls us to follow him, to come to him. And my job today is not to tell you about how, uh, what political party you should stand by. Uh, how much money you should spend every day, or how much time you should be thinking about your goals. It's to simply just give you Jesus in this passage. And that's it. And when we we look at Jesus in this passage, we'll start to see that he's the most comforting, loving, compassionate, securing God of the universe. And he will expose those things we desperately want and desperately think we need. And we'll talk about three reasons why sinners should come to Jesus. And the goal is to come to Jesus and let him heal your hearts. So in verse 1 and 2, we see that Jesus is in Capernaum. And if you don't know much about Capernaum, uh, Capernaum was considered Jesus' home. Uh, He was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, and he made home in his ministry years, uh, Capernaum. So I'm sure a lot of people knew about him. Uh, in Capernaum. People wanted to see who he was all about, and they already kind of probably knew about him a little bit. Uh, so, the, so they all came to see Jesus, and they went to look at uh, maybe the, the, he might kill somebody, or there might be a miraculous sign. And even when we read scripture today, uh, we always just skip past to the miracle, and we miss the point. We miss the point of what Jesus is actually doing. <laughs> but anyways, while, while Jesus Uh, was there with the crowd. He doesn't give them a miracle. He doesn't give them uh, what they want, but he gives them the word. And the word that they're referring to is the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. Uh, He was probably talking about that. And it just shows that Jesus saw the importance of God's word. See, God's word has authority and a power over all of our lives. We cannot take God's, God's word lightly because the same word... This same word that is in our hands is the same word that when God spoke, let there be light, there was light. God spoke life into existence. And that same word has the same power that is in this Bible, is active, is moving. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, uh, it might be on the board if the board's working. But it says this, it says, for the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the divisions of soul and of spirit, and of joints and marrow, the discerning of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the word of God is something powerful. It is active. It is alive. It is something that we should read all the time. It's something we should take very seriously, something we should examine very closely. And we should let it discern our thoughts and intentions. What are we doing in life? What is, what is this... Uh, thing that we might be stressed out about. Let's go to the Word and see. 
Let's see what, what, what we're truly thinking in our hearts and what we truly desire. Let's see what's in God's word. It's active. It changes us. And one of the great gifts about the word is that we have the Holy Spirit. So uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, when we are saved and our souls are regenerated, is that uh, it illuminates the scripture. It illuminates us and shows us and teaches us uh, about who God is. So we should cling to the scriptures and let us be students of the scripture. In Ezekiel chapter 37, uh, it talks about uh, God giving a message to Ezekiel. And Ezekiel gives that message to dry bones. And the dry bones come to life. It goes to show you that God's word moves. It brings life into people. So we should be students of the word. We should care about the word. We should not just read the word on Sunday. But it truly changes our lives. In verse 3 through 4, uh, we see four men uh, have a friend that is paralyzed. It doesn't go into too much detail about how paralyzed the man was. Um, he was just paralyzed to some extent. And the crowd was so big, the four men could not get to Jesus. Uh, these men had compassion for the paralyzed man. They saw that he needed to be healed. They saw that if they took him to Jesus, he would be healed by him. They had faith in that. See, and a lot of people think that if we have, if we have compassion on something, it just means we feel sorry for them. Like, oh, we have compassion for the sick. We have compassion for kids might being in abused homes. We have compassion for uh, just uh, the poor, you know? We have compassion on those things, but what is true compassion? Compassion leads to action. It would be illogical for you to say you have compassion on a dog uh, that just got ran over. And you just say, oh, I feel so sorry for the dog. And you just step right over it and you just walk on with your day. No, but if you truly have compassion, you would go and pick up the dog. And you might take it up for, to the bed and try to save it. If that's truly, if you have compassion, it leads to action. So the four men had compassion on the paralyzed man and it led to action. So church, do you believe with all your hearts that you were once washed clean by the blood of the Lamb? Do you truly believe that? And if you do, if you do, if you know that you were raised to life with him, then we should show people who Jesus is. We should show people that he can heal. We should have compassion because we were once them. We were once them at one point. So we should heal or we should take them to Jesus so he can heal them. You might not know the, the depths and widths of the gospel. That's okay. You don't have to. No one can. You might not be the best teacher in the world. That's okay. You don't have to be the best teacher in the world to share about who Jesus is. But you do have a testimony that how Jesus washed you clean, and now you have a basic understanding of the gospel. You were once dead in your trespasses, and now you are made alive with Christ. Uh, my friend, uh, he's my roommate. Uh, we've been friends since around around seventh grade. And uh, yesterday, he shared me some great news. Uh, so he's very much taken his faith seriously now. Uh, from where we were friends from seventh grade to where we are now, um, he has went a long ways. And uh, he shared the gospel to a guy. And uh, he ended up coming to faith. Uh, and it, it was a very proud moment that uh, my friend shared the gospel. And 
uh, he accepted Jesus then. And the thing is with my friend Dawson is he does not know the, the depths and the wits of the gospel. That's okay. He, he might not be the best teacher in the world. That's okay. But he does have a testimony about how he was washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. He does have that testimony. So church, we can be people who can point them, the sinners, to Jesus. And then we see in verse 5, we see that uh, we see that the four men had compassion that led to action. And then the crowd was so big that the four men could not get to Jesus. Uh, so they tried to, they had to make an alternative route. Uh, so so they, uh, they tried to do everything in their power to get to Jesus. Uh, so what they would do is they went up probably to a staircase up on top of a roof. And uh, in this time, roofs kind of looked like this. There would be two wood beams, and then you would have branches packed together, and then you would have mud and clay all in there. So you could easily stand on the roof. It was definitely easy enough to stand on the roof. So they were carrying the paralyzed man. I'm sure he was heavy, so they were lifting him up, trying to go upstairs on top of the roof. Then they were digging a hole just to get to Jesus. And they did a lot of work. And I'm sure uh, as they were holding the man and as they were digging, they got really tired. They did all that just to get Jesus. But as they lowered him down, nervously awaiting what Jesus was going to do, Jesus saw the man. He did not say one word about what a great work he did. He didn't say that. He said, man, y'all, you guys, y'all are so righteous for trying to go all this way to, to me. Wow, you're so good. No. He simply just acknowledged their faith. That's all he did. He acknowledged their faith. And I'm sure the paralyzed man was confused on why Jesus didn't, uh, didn't heal his physical body. But Jesus solved the most important issue. And it was his spiritual state. He needed a healing from his sins. Instead of Jesus healing our uh, secondary issues, he heals our primary issue. And it's uh, for us to be reconciled by him and us re having a regenerated soul. See, a lot of times we can uh, think we so badly need something. We need our, our bodies to work better. Uh, we, we need a little bit more money on, the, on uh, the table so we can, I don't know, have more food. Um, it just, there's so many secondary issues. But yes, those can be all good things. Yes, it's a good thing to uh, be healed physically. You know, that can be a good thing. But Jesus cares more about our spiritual states than he does our physical states. And the second reason why sinners should come to Jesus is because he has authority over sin. He has the ultimate power and authority to forgive sins, so that's why we should come to him as sinners. So in verses 6 and 7, we see the religious leaders finally introduced in the gospel more. This is the first time they're introduced. And we see the scribes. So the scribes were teachers uh, of the law, and they would copy scripture down all the time. So that was part of their job is they would copy scripture down and they would make it more accessible for the Israelites to read the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament that we have. Uh, so they knew a lot about the Hebrew Bible. They knew about uh, the law uh, front to back and they lived by the Hebrew Bible. And they were thinking to themselves, after Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, they said in their minds, only in their minds that who, who does this man think he is? He's saying a statement like you're comparing yourself to God. 
That would result in blasphemy in the law. That would result, like, who do you think you are? But the good thing is, is Jesus is God, and he has the authority to forgive sins. And that is a great thing that Jesus is God, that he stepped down approximately 2,000 years ago to restore the world back to him. He came to heal the world for our sins. God is not a God who does not forgive. He is on a mission to restore humanity back to him. In Genesis chapter 3, that was the first Messianic prophecy. The first Messianic prophecy. If you didn't know this, but Genesis 3 was also the fall of man. So what does that mean? That means that, that, that humanity was cursed after that, but then God already had a mission to restore humanity. He was always wanting to draw people back to him. And only God has authority to forgive sins. See, our works, our works do not have authority to forgive sins. No matter how hard we try, we can't say, if the good overweighs the bad, maybe I can get into heaven. No, that does not have authority to forgive sin. We can think that our parents' faith, that that might get us into heaven. Or maybe us going to church, that might get us in heaven. That might be able to forgive us of our sins. Maybe our political party, maybe which other, which side we stand on, maybe that has enough power to, uh, to have authority to forgive sins. But no, Jesus only has authority to forgive sins. So we come to him. We ask him for forgiveness. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We go to God. He is slow to anger. And there are new mercies every morning. There are new mercies every morning. You can't go too far for God to forgive you. Thank goodness he has authority to forgive sins. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He's faithful. He's merciful. He's gracious. There's new mercies every morning. <laughs> then we see that he proves his authority. So as Jesus proves his authority, he, he's, he's proving it uh, by, forgiving it, by, by forgiving sin. So he's proving his authority. And as the scribes are questioning him, uh, uh, it, only in their minds. So they didn't even say this out loud, this statement out loud. Uh, that they were questioning Jesus' authority. Uh, but he, he shows his omniscient nature. He shows his omniscient nature, which means he, he knows everything. He knows every thoughts and intentions in our brains and uh, everything like that. So there's nothing we can hide from Jesus. And the scribes witnessed that firsthand. Even our deepest and darkest thoughts, Jesus knows about. So we can give it to him. But not only does he prove his omniscient nature to show his authority to forgive sins... But he also proves it by his miraculous powers. So while the scribes were questioning his authority, Jesus shows his authority by healing the paralytic. So, uh, so back in Jewish culture, the healing of the sick and uh, being your, for, your sins being forgiven went almost hand in hand. They were cohesive. They thought maybe if, if this person is 
uh, is sick, then there has to be something wrong with them. You know, that's not the case now. That's not the case it's ever been. But that's what in Jewish culture people thought, that they went hand in hand, that there might have been something wrong and that there, there was some sin in their lives. Uh, so Jesus shows authority by healing the paralyzed man. So he says, which is easier to say to the paralyzed, your sins are forgiven or to rise and take up your bed and walk? So he's showing, I can do both. I can do both. I can, I can uh, show authority to forgive sins, and I can also heal this person's physical body. I'm proving to you that I am God, and I'm proving to you that I have the authority to forgive sins. And in verse 13 through 17, we see a, a, uh, a switch in the scene. And our, this comes to our last point. It's that uh, Jesus eats with sinners. So that is the reason why we should come and follow Jesus because he eats with the sinners and he hangs out with the lowly. He extends his grace and he extends his fellowship to the most unexpected people. So a new scene approaches and the crowd follows Jesus beside the sea and uh, he again is teaching them. So he's showing them the importance of the word again. And uh, there were a lot of people around them, but then he goes and sees Levi, the tax collector. And uh, he, he spotted him at the tax booth, and he says, Levi, come and follow me. And Levi follows him. So if you didn't know this about a tax collector, the tax collectors were Jewish people who worked for the Roman government. Uh, they would collect taxes, and a lot of them were very corrupt, and they would take extra money themselves. So say if uh, you owe the Roman government $20, the tax collector would say, you owe me 30 and he would keep 10 in his pocket. So... Israel thought that these type of people just betrayed their nation. So they hated them. They were as low as thieves and murderers. People despised the tax collectors. But Jesus simply told Levi to follow him. See, Levi, asked, Levi was never asked if he had to do something right in order to follow him. He was never, Jesus never said, oh, you need to uh, read your Bible a little bit more. Oh, you need, to, uh, you need to give some money back to the people that you stole from. No, he said, follow me. Drop everything. We're never too far away to be away from God. We can follow him at any point of our lives. And the same thing applies to us. We can follow him whenever and wherever because he is gracious. And no matter how far off we are, he is willing for you to come back home. When we feel like we aren't good enough, the answer is to follow Jesus. When we feel like our life is turned upside down, maybe it could be a death in the family. Maybe it's a divorce that you could be going through. Maybe you just got laid off your job. It can be anything. The answer is to follow Jesus because he is worth it. You don't have to get everything right to follow him. So there's a price to follow Jesus, but it comes with a great reward. Now, reward consists of eternal fellowship with Jesus, forgiveness, peace, joy, ultimate fulfillment. It's an abounding reward, but the price is heavy. It, it calls to take up your cross and follow him daily. But the reward is abounding. Then we see in verse 15 through 17 that, uh, that Jesus also calls us to be in fellowship with the rejected. 
In verse 15, it says that Jesus was reclined at his home, eating with the sinners and the tax collectors. And back then, it was very against the social norm of eating. If you were a great teacher, as Jesus was, it was very against social norms in that, in that culture to be eating with sinners. So uh, the Pharisees came onto the scene and asked Jesus why he's eating with the tax collectors and sinners. What, what righteous teacher would ever do those, do those kinds of things with those kinds of people? And when we think of the Pharisees today, uh, we think the first thing that pops in our minds is a hypocrite. That's the first thing that we think of, that they're the bad guys. They hated Jesus, which uh, they were hypocrites. Uh, they, some of them were bad guys. But in that time, they were considered very righteous people. They followed the law extremely carefully. They, so there was the law in the Bible, and then there's also the, they made an extra biblical law to get them further away from breaking the law. See, that, that was the right mindset, but their hearts weren't in it. They missed the point. Jesus knew their hearts. They were more worried about following the law and looking righteous than they actually were to follow God. They missed the point. As, as followers of God, we are to be around the rejected. We are to be around the sinners. Not so much where we're, where we're being drawn back by the sinners, but where we are lifting them up in a, in a good, healthy way. In verse 17, it says, this was Jesus' words, that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, what good would a doctor be if he only worked on healthy people? I mean, there would be no use for the job. There, there would be no use for the job. And Jesus is here to heal the sinners. My friend, they're rejected, and so are we. And I'm very guilty of this. It is, it is very easy as Christians to only be around Christians. It's very easy. I mean, think about it. I go to a Christian college. Most of my friends are Christians there. Uh, I'm uh, fixing to be married to a Christian. Uh, I go to church, hopefully with all Christians. Uh, I go to, uh, I live uh, in an apartment full of Christians. And, uh, and most of my days consist of that. And then I just repeat, I go to church, go hang out with my fiance, go hang out with my friends, go to school, wake up the next morning. So that's what my life consists of. But Christ calls us to befriend the sinners. To show them who Jesus is. To show them that they need to be healed. To show them that there is a Messiah that has the authority to forgive sins. It might be an uncomfortable and hard thing. But it's an essential spiritual discipline. See, Jesus is worth coming to. He's more than the political party you follow. The success you so badly want in life. The money you think you need. He truly wants you. So come to him. Even if you are a Christian, even if you feel like those things aren't what you're going after, you can still give a little bit more up to him. And you will find more joy. You will find more eternal fellowship with him. So the question is today, what is stopping you from coming to Jesus? What is stopping you from coming to Jesus? Think about it. That might be something you, you might not know right now. Maybe you should meditate on it. Maybe you should think about it and pray on it. Let God reveal you that.
And when you know what's stopping you from coming to Jesus, come to him. Let him heal you. Let him heal you by the blood of the Lamb. He has the authority to forgive sins. And he eats with the most unlikeliest people. And we're a church of unlikely people. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for who you are, Lord. You were slow to anger. You were steadfast in your love. You were faithful. God. And you have the authority to forgive our sins. And we thank you for that. We love you. And we need you. Lord, show us today how we can come to you just a little bit closer. Lord, we thank you. Amen.